Well, good morning, everyone. Um, like Lois said, we're doing a bit of a tag team thing today. Um, so I'm up first, and um, I've just brought Jan up for some backup. I've actually brought Jan up because of something that was said last week. So when Steve preached last week, he said to us, were you in the school nativity? And there were lots of Marys and Josephs and shepherds. But Jan was sat behind me, and Jan said, I was a dove. Oh. And not only was Jan a dove, this is when she was eight, so it's about 30 years ago, okay? Not only was she a dove, but she was a dove with a speaking part. And Jan is now going to give us her dove speaking part. Right. Yes, I was the dove, and this is what I had to say. Roo Kitty Coo, said the little grey dove, you will find great warmth and love. Come, come to the stable. And that message hasn't changed, does it? Come to the stable. Thank you, Jan. No, thank you, Jan. Thank you, Jan. Rookity, cookity, cough, or whatever it is. So the reason that I wanted Jan to come up was because, actually, that dove, it didn't exist. I'm not being funny, but do you know what I mean? And if it, if it did, if it was perched somewhere, it certainly didn't have a speaking part. But I have found, I have discovered something this week that I did not know. And that is, there wasn't an innkeeper. I have grown up from my like little school days uh, because my faith in the nativity story has been based on a school production of the nativity. So what I always thought was that Mary and Joseph arrived, knocked on the door, and he was like, no room in the inn. But it isn't actually the case when you read the Bible version of it. And then um, earlier this week, I felt prompted to speak on the innkeeper. And that was why I've been like looking into the innkeeper. So it was a bit of a shock to find out he doesn't actually exist. So I'm like, well, Lord, what am I going to speak about then? Because it was clearly like the innkeeper who was raised to me. Um, so then I thought, about the nativity, what do we know? What's true? We know Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. We know they traveled to Bethlehem, which was the town where Joseph was born. And they had to go there because a census was taking place. So they had to travel up from Nazareth to Bethlehem to register themselves. That was Joseph's hometown. It was a journey of approximately 70 miles. And that would have taken walking eight hours a day, somewhere between four and seven days to travel from Nazareth up to Bethlehem. That's quite a journey when you're nine months pregnant, isn't it? That's quite a journey to undertake. We found out that Joseph actually had extended family up in Bethlehem because that was the place where he came from. That was his birth town. And his family still lived there. They, they had homes there. 
Um, and so what I've discovered that Bethlehem, this tiny, tiny city, would have been packed at that time because so many people were going back to their homeland to register. The houses in those days were kind of like three-story. So your top story was your upper room or your guest chamber. Your middle story was your living area. And then your ground floor was where the animals were kept or brought in for shelter. And I kind of imagined Mary and Joseph, based on my school nativity play, arriving in Bethlehem, going to kind of like the uh, Bethlehem version of the Premier Inn or the Travel Lodge. And they were like knocking on the door and I'm sorry, we've got no room for you. No vacancies. And I've kind of got a modern day example of that because this morning at half past six, I got a text off my son-in-law um, and he's been in Devon and he's traveling up the country and he got as far as Birmingham last night. The traffic on the other side of the road was at a standstill. The side of the road where he was because of the snow was really uh, crawling along. And he thought, it's okay, because I'm booked into um, a travel lodge at Stafford. And he arrived at the travel lodge at 1.30 in the morning. And when he got there, they were kind of frantically looking for his booking. And they said, Mr. Williams, you were booked in last night, not tonight. And so he's like, oh, no. And he said, we are, we're totally full, because all the people have come off the motorway because the traffic and the snow is so bad. So we drove on to Nutsford Services and spent the night in the car till half past six. And he's now, um, he's now in our spare bedroom, <laughs> catching up on his sleep <laughs> before he travels home. But that's like, I imagine this for Mary and Joseph. I imagine them going around trying all these doors. But what is more likely is that they went to family they went to the home of one of their extended family. And if we just look at uh, Luke chapter 1, and we've got the verses there, it says that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. This is while they were in Bethlehem. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. There's not a mention of an innkeeper. There's a mention of no room in the inn. So the innkeeper is suggested. But what is more likely is that they went to family. They went to extended family. And the word that's in there, no room in the inn, it um, comes from the Greek word, so I'll try and pronounce this okay, katalima which means the guest room or the upper room. So that gives us a slightly different slant on things, that Mary and Joseph went to this extended family member and there was no room for them in the upper room, in the guest room of the house. So that family member let them into the ground floor, which is the area where the um, cattle, where the animals would have come in for shelter. Um, Really, that shouldn't have happened. 
Because in Eastern culture, what should have happened is that when Joseph arrived and when he said, I'm the son of Jacob, I'm the son of, the son of Matan, the son of Eliezer, that family should have immediately said, you are welcome, how can we help you? So even immediate family didn't respond in that way, in providing, in making space in that upper room, in that guest room for Jesus and Mary and Joseph. But they did say, there's a place on the lower floor. And I wondered what it was like for Mary and Joseph to be on that lower floor and to be able to hear the party going up on upstairs, because it would have been packed with family for them to hear like the noise, the music maybe, the laughter, the chatting, and they're on the lower floor, rejected, overlooked, ignored. Um, and I think about Mary, because she was carrying the king of kings soon to be born. That treasure within her was soon to be the treasure in her arms. And it just reminded me of um, a verse that comes from John chapter 1. And it's verses 11 and 12. And it says, talking about Jesus, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And that's for us, isn't it? That's for us here who have chosen to believe in Jesus. We have got the right to become children of God. And on that day, when Mary and Joseph knocked on their family home door, they were overlooked and ignored. They were given a place somewhere which wasn't in with the family. So, I thought about the innkeeper not existing, but actually, it does exist today. Um, and in many ways, it's us. Each one of us is an innkeeper if we know Jesus. And I wanted to look at these verses just to read through them together to see how we can respond. So these verses are from Matthew 25. And it says, these are Jesus' words. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king, King Jesus, will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Jesus knows, doesn't he? Right at the start of his life on earth, 
what it was like to be shunned, to be overlooked, to be ignored. But he tells us as his disciples that we have daily opportunities where we can reach out to people who need clothing, who need care, who need food, who need to be looked after, who need to know they're loved. And we can do that as if we're actually reaching out and doing it for him. And that is our privilege as innkeepers today. So I just really wanted to finish with that idea that we can say to ourselves, I am the innkeeper. I am the innkeeper. And we can go with that aim to reach out to other people and know that in doing it, we're reaching out to Jesus himself. So after we've looked now at um, someone who didn't exist, Lois is going to bring us three wise women. It's all about the women. <laughs> Thank you. Today, oh, there we go. Yeah, gentlemen, sorry if you're feeling left out today. Um, but we're going to talk about some women a little bit more. Okay, comfy. Um, we are going to talk about the three wise women of the nativity story. Now, just to debunk some more nativity myths, we're just breaking all sorts of people's nativity um, hearts today. People think that there was three wise men, but actually, the Bible doesn't ever say there was three. So that we have also made up. So I'm making up the fact that there was three wise women. Because if other people can make up, so can I. So can you hazard a guess about who the women might be that I'm meaning with the three wise women in the nativity story? Oh my goodness! Dad! <laughs> Honestly. Okay, spoiler alert. She's behind you. The three wise women are Elizabeth, Mary, and Anna. Um, Di brought Jan onto stage. Um, I've got Barbies on stage. Um, quite a correlation, really, Jan. Okay. Um, so these are my three wise women. You might have not heard of Elizabeth or Anna, but you may well have heard of Mary, mainly. Oh, they're going to be up to all sorts. Excuse me. Excuse me a second. Well, I didn't think this one through, did I? Whoops-a-daisy. You can just sleep there for a minute and be good. Elizabeth, Mary, and Anna, who were they? So they are three distinct women with very different lives. But they are pinnacle in this incredible moment in history all surrounding the birth of Jesus. So let me just run through with you who they are, um, who we've got. This one here is Elizabeth. Hello, Elizabeth. Elizabeth's story is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 23. But for the sake of time, let me just give you a couple of verses to help you understand who Elizabeth is. So it says this in verse 5 to 7. During the time that Herod was ruling, there was a priest named Zechariah. He belonged to a group of priests named after Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, this is Elizabeth, also came from the family line. And both of them did what was right in the sight of God. They obeyed all the Lord's commands and rules faithfully. But they had no children 
because Elizabeth was not able to have any, and they were both very old. So Elizabeth is old, she's married, she's from a priestly family, she was righteous, and that is what we know about Elizabeth, but the main thing is she was also childless. So that's Elizabeth. Next up, we have got Mary. This one's Mary. Gosh, she really needed to do her hair. This one is Mary. You um, will find Mary's story a little bit later in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. But let me again just give you a couple of verses. I'm going to read from verse 26 and 27 about our wise woman number two, which is Mary. And it says this, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. He was sent to a virgin. The girl was engaged to a man named Joseph. He came from the family line of David, and the virgin's name was? Mary. Mary. There, we've got Mary. So Mary is young. She was probably 13 or 14, scholars think. Um, she lived in a, quite a lowly village called Nazareth. She's a virgin. She's engaged. She was a Jewish girl from a very humble background. So we've got Elizabeth. We've got Mary. Can I multitask? We've got Anna. Now, Anna is a little bit later in the Christmas story. So you'd have to flick forward a chapter to Luke chapter two. And this is what we know about Anna. Now there was Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband, with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman, this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. We'll just pause that there. So Anna was a prophetess. She was a highly devout, prayerful woman. She's been a widow for 84 years, which probably means she was over 100, maybe about 105 years old. So three very different women. To recap, Elizabeth, old, Mary, young. Anna, very old. Elizabeth um, was from the line of Abijah. Mary from David, Anna from Asher. Their status was different. Elizabeth was, was from a priestly line. Mary's was a Jewish girl. Anna was a prophetess. Their relationship statuses were different. Elizabeth was married. Mary was engaged. Elizabeth was, uh, Anna was widowed. So there's so many things that are different about these three women. So many things that separate them, but there's one thing that I think unites them all. And it's the very thing that unites them that makes them my three wise women. And the thing that I think all of these women have got in common with each other is their obedience. It's their obedience that makes them the three wise women in our story. You see, being obedient to God is always the wise thing to do. Obedience isn't always easy. Sometimes it's costly. Sometimes we don't know kind of how we're going to be obedient to God. But it's always the wise thing to do. And you know, a God-honoring, obedient decision won't always be the easiest decision. But we believe it'll always be the right decision. 
And we believe that when God asks us to be obedient to him, he will always help us. When we give him our yes, he will always help us to follow through on our obedience to him. So to bring you up to speed about how these people were obedient, Elizabeth, after years of not being able to have children, had her husband had a crazy encounter with an angel who said, you're going to have a baby. He was like, what? That's not possible. We're too old. The angel then said, you're going to have to call this baby John, and John is going to be very, very important. Now, imagine the scene. Elizabeth is going to be giving birth to a baby that never should have really happened, that's probably going to be the only baby she might have, and her whole extended family and society would expect her to call the baby after its dad, Zachariah. But the angel said, you must call it John. Don't care what anybody says, you must call it John. And guess what Elizabeth did? She called it John. She was obedient to the one thing that God asked of her. Mary... Poor Mary. If it, listen, if an angel came to me when I was 13 years old and said, would you mind carrying the Son of God in your belly? I'd be like, no, thank you. Please find someone else. But Mary was like, I am your servant, God. If you ask me to do it, I'll do it. And that decision, that obedience to God, will have cost her greatly. There will have been friends and family that will have wanted to walk away from her because they'd have been like, you're a virgin, but you're pregnant. Somebody's lying. What's going on? She will have known that the cost of her obedience was massive. But when God said, will you? She said, yes. Mary was obedient when it mattered. And then we've got Anna. And Anna demonstrates her obedience in a different way because Anna lived a life of obedience. She decided to prioritize prayer and worship and fasting and waiting for the Lord every day of her life. And as someone who'd been widowed for 84 years, I can imagine there was times when that would have been hard and lonely and difficult, where she'd have been like, Lord, where are you? But she decided every day to be obedient in worshiping and praying to God. So whether it is a one-off decision, whether it is an act of obedience, or whether it's a lifestyle obedience, these three women showed their wisdom because when God said, will you? They said, yes, no matter the cost. Even when it didn't make sense, they stayed obedient to God. Even if their family and friends didn't agree, they stayed obedient to God. Even if they felt they were the wrong person for the job, too young or too old or too barren or too widowed, they said yes to the call of God. And as I was just like thinking on these wise women over the last few weeks, I just felt like God was saying, for someone you know that he has been asking for your obedience and he's been asking for you to say yes. And you've been like, I'm the wrong person for the job. Stop asking me, God. And maybe today, God is just saying once more, will you? And he's inviting you to say, yes. Whatever the cost, I'll say yes. Maybe you've been feeling like God is asking you to do something. And you've been worried that you, um, it might destroy your reputation. It probably destroyed Mary's reputation as a virgin, young teenage girl to carry the son of God in her, but she said yes. 
maybe you feel like, and it felt like the Holy Spirit said this this week, that you have been obedient. You have been obedient over and over again, and you are waiting for your miracle. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to say, thank you for your obedience. Keep saying yes. I'm going to say yes to you at just the right time. I wonder what it is that God is asking you to do, and he is waiting for your yes. Waiting is a hard, hard thing to do. But we believe that when we say yes to God, he helps us through the waiting season, through the obedience, and everything that follows. Obedience to God isn't always an easy decision, but it's always the wise thing to do. We're going to worship together um, as we end our service, but there might be something that you've heard today, maybe about being an innkeeper or about wisdom or being obedient, that you're like, God is speaking to me. And maybe you need to just pray with someone and have someone pray for you. If that's you, our prayer team are going to be over in that corner over there. Um, and they would love to pray for you. Or it might be that you need prayer for something totally different and you're like, I just need some prayer. Um, then go over there for anything that you need prayer-wise. You can't go over there and get some money or food. That's later. But if you need any prayer, then do go into that corner. If you'd like to worship with us um, for the next few minutes, then why don't you stand to your feet?